Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and uh, thank you for what you supply us, that you supply us the Holy Spirit. And uh, he's not far from any of us, but actually is very near, even indwelling us, those who trust in you. Lord, we ask that you would um, teach us, that you would enlighten us to you and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Let us learn from your word and let us apply it. Help us, show us how to apply your word this week. Amen. All right. So in Acts chapter 9, we talked about the conversion of Saul. Um, what you would not pick to be God's champion for the gospel and to spread the gospel, the enemigo of the Lord, the Lord chose as a chosen instrument to witness to the Gentiles, Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting the church and kicking against the goads. Um, and, um, and then he encountered the Lord. So now, the next window that we see in Acts is the window into a new believer's life. Not just any new believer, one that had a special and a unique calling by God, but there have many who have converted to Christ and then great zeal filled them to run much further than those that came before them. Much further even than those who even brought them to Christ. Many a man has taken with a new fervor and a new zeal um, has taken the gospel to far lengths. And here we see a window into the zeal of this new believer. And as a new believer, um, we see that Saul takes three courses of action right away as a new believer. And uh, this should be challenging for all of us, I think, as we look at what God did through Saul. So beginning in verse 19, okay, immediately the scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized. Taking food, he was strengthened, and then we begin our next section. For some days, he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them abound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So, first day as a new believer, I think I'll go and preach him in the synagogue. <laughs> Immediately, it says, for some days he stayed with the disciples and immediately he proclaimed Christ. The first action that Saul takes is he preaches Jesus in the synagogue. And what was the message that he was preaching? A very simple one. He's the son of God. One, I noticed these little phrases over and over again. Like, remember, what, would, what did the Ethiopian confess when he was baptized? What was his confession? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. 
That's very simple. Notice that it doesn't say um, that it's not a, 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 a complicated theological statement. It's a simple one. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he is sent by God. That he is who he said he was. Um, and the mechanics of his nature, the mechanics of the Trinity, um, the, the mechanics of theology, hypostatic union, fully God, fully man. Some of these thoughts actually really aren't only clarified, but for maybe three or four hundred years after um, the book of Acts is written. But the simple confession is straightforward, that he's the son of God. That this, he's the son of God. And that is a claim to divinity, by the way. That is a claim to divinity. I think even the Muslims don't acknowledge Jesus to be the Son of God. They say he was a prophet, he was a teacher, but he's mm-mm, not the Son of God. Not the Son of God. And so immediately proclaims Jesus in the synagogue. And of course, this is confusing to everybody because they were hearing the exact opposite about him. He, he was coming here to arrest believers, but now he's preaching. He's preaching Jesus. What happened? And let me ask, let me tell you, that's a great point to bring up with any skeptic about Jesus or about Christianity and about the resurrection. Um, what would be so powerful to turn the enemy of Jesus, who is persecuting and arresting Christians, what would be so powerful to convince him? This is true. This is true. And totally do a 180. To see it. To have a real encounter. Something had to have happened. Paul is a real man of history. Okay? He was, he was trained under a real rabbi, one of the well-known of his day, historically, um, historically um, accredited. In opposition to Jesus. And then we see a complete change of this man. And then he becomes the primary writer of the New Testament. Particularly the epistles. Uh, Paul has written something like 13 or 16 of the 27 books of the New Testament. Paul is a major author of them because he had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus changes people. Jesus changes people when we come face to face with the Lord. He changes us. And when we were, and all of us were his enemies, when we encounter him, when we look upon him and believe, we are changed forever and become his children. Now, notice it says, um, now, if, if Paul did this, I think one thing that I can say is that when, when a new believer comes to Jesus, let them speak about Christ. Let them speak clearly um, about Jesus. Perhaps their testimony won't be elegant. Maybe it won't be impressive. Maybe it won't even make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> But what they can do is share what they have seen and heard. Not all of the apostles were like Paul. All right? They were fishermen, uneducated men. But when somebody comes to Jesus, I think it is a good practice to encourage them right away. Hey, tell people of what you have done. And tell people of what God has done for you. You remember the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. Right? He gets delivered from these demons. And he wants to hop back in the boat with Jesus. And what does Jesus tell him? No. 
Go back to your home and to your friends and family and tell them all the good things that the Lord has done for you. And so it says that he went back and he told everyone all the things that Jesus had done for him. Nice little, you know, you know, Jesus, son of God stuff right there. You know, Jesus is the Lord. Um, This switch that we see in scripture. I think it is okay to encourage new believers to speak of Christ. I read somewhere, uh, I think uh, a one author said, if you don't encourage them to speak of Jesus right, of what, right away, they may never will. Or they may learn to become quiet about their faith. I don't think that's true. Because I've gone many years feeling guilty and not saying much. And then the Lord came and, and convicted me and I repented and I broke the ice and it was awkward. But then all of a sudden the mouth is open and Jesus is coming out. So um, I wouldn't be discouraged if you feel like your mouth has been closed for Christ. Um, just invite the Lord into that. Tell him, Lord, I've been really wrestling with this area. But if you want even the new believer... Because we tell ourselves, well, I'm not ready yet. I don't know what to say. I've gone to seminary. No, don't worry about that. Who is the witness? The Holy Spirit. And he's given to us that we may bear witness. You got him. You're good. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, just something to prompt us to here. Now, it also says that Paul, in verse 22, Saul, excuse me, I'm going to struggle with this until it changes his name. Um, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He confounded, now notice, when, he is, um, when they were confused by him, it says that he just increased in strength. He grew in strength. Why? Because he had now a new power source. It was no longer his power source. He was connected to God and God filled him with strength. And when you and I are rightly related with the Lord, when the enemy comes at you, we just increase in strength because of who Jesus is. I get this picture from Pilgrim's Progress. You remember Pilgrim's Progress? Before he goes on his journey, he has to be told a couple of, uh, he has to have a couple of short lessons in this house, forget what it's called. And one of the lessons, he sees a fire. And a man is trying to douse the fire with water. He's throwing fire on the water. But the more water he threw on, the fire just grew bigger. And he, he was confused by that mystery, and they showed him the back side, and there was another man on the back side that was pouring oil on the fire. <laughs> pouring oil on the fire. And it was an illustration of the grace that Jesus pours. When you and I face opposition, God gives greater grace. He gives grace sufficient in all things, at all times, so that even when there might be The attempt to endows your faith. Jesus pours on grace. He pours on grace. As did this little baby believer. Have you ever met a new believer who is just zealous for the Lord? Just zealous. It's like all they can do is talk about reading the scriptures and talk about Jesus. And and don't understand why would you ever watch TV? We got Jesus. You know, I'm like, oh, man. (laughs) Um, or whatever the example is. And I have seen attempts sometimes to try to douse that new believer. Perhaps because of the guilt that they bring. Because of their zeal for the Lord. 
because it's too hippie? It could be, it could be a little convicting. It might be easier to say, well, you'll, you'll quiet down after a while. You'll be like me at some point. Let's go the other way. Why don't, why don't we just let them light us on fire? Don't you think? Um, I think there's a great grace. When we bring new believers to the Lord, it's like this refining. And that which was old becomes new when we have young believers among us. So he confounded the Jews. So Saul had great gifts in speaking and in teaching and in reason. He was a very educated man. And so he uses at hand what God had given him. And confounded, which means to confuse on some level. They, he stumped the Jews. Why? It says by proving, or the King James says, proving that Jesus was the Christ. You prove that Jesus is Christ. You demonstrate clearly who he is in Scripture. And people will either convert and believe or confound. <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> and so... The first thing we see is that Paul preaches Christ. The second is that he evades danger. He evades danger. Look in verse 23. When many days have passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down, let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him. In a basket. Pretty simple. But he, this guy is a young believer. And yet the other disciples aren't trying to flee. They need to get him out of there. So I think Paul, Saul, was already standing out as a believer in some sense. This guy is on, has just been put on the varsity team and they're killing us. Okay, we got to get rid of this, this man. Okay, The consequence of bold preaching is brazen persecution. If you, are to, if you are to be bold and to speak of Christ, the consequence of bold preaching is brazen persecution. The enemy will come at you um, with strong persecution. And I think sometimes the persecuted are those who have been willing to open their mouth for Jesus. I'm reminded of my friend Matt. Um, who lives in North Webster. Um, Matt, um, not at Farmer's Market, he goes... Um, when Matt was learning to speak of Christ and was continuing to, to speak of Jesus to his friends, he would have de- dreams where demons would come to him and, and threaten him and tell him, they would tell him, don't speak of Jesus. Don't speak of Jesus. And I think that pattern is, is really true. When I retreat into my comfort zone and stay there, I don't think you and I will experience the kind of intense persecution that we ought to if we would be bold and to take steps of faith and speak of Jesus um, where we are. That's when the opposition comes. That's when your popularity starts to be challenged. That's when your reputation starts to be questioned is when you speak of Jesus. That's when your job might be at stake. Um, See, opposition comes when we start to live rightly. And that's why later when Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, he says, those who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. They will be persecuted. But 
it is reasonable, when persecuted, to flee. It is reasonable, when persecuted, to evade danger. There's no shame in being let down into a hamper basket down the wall that night, you know. In fact, Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out to preach, he said, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Flee to the next. Um, There is a time and it is okay to run when there are threats on your life, unless the Lord has told you, stay and continue um, where you are at. The Lord would have to direct you in that. Mm. So Paul is zealous. He is bold. He's speaking clearly. Um, The scriptures are making sense to him. And so he is now proving that Jesus is the Christ. He is evading danger. Between verse 25 and 26, there is something of a three-year gap. You see in verse 26, it says, When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. Okay, so he flees Damascus. But there's about a three-year gap here. And if you flip over to the book of Galatians, Paul, explaining his own conversion, explains this little gap. And so if you've got Galatians, it's just to the right of Acts, right of, um, to the right of Corinthians, right after 2 Corinthians is Galatians. Flip there and I'll read just a little bit of Paul's own conversion and what he, um, how he describes the timing of this. In Galatians 1, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advanced in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. All right. So that's the gap, the three-year gap. He goes away into Arabia. When he was lowered down in that basket, he went away into Arabia. Probably into the desert. And then later returns to Damascus. And after three years goes up to Jerusalem. Now this is an interesting pause. Why did he do that? Why did he go off into Arabia? There's no account of Paul preaching into Arabia or um, going off and making a bunch of converts in Arabia. To receive the Spirit. Well, to receive the Spirit, that's that's, uh, not a bad observation. Now it says that Ananias laid hands on him. Right? And he says that you, um, what does it say? Appear to you on the road that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's received the Spirit. He's being filled. One observation, just one thought. Maybe it was a time of preparation. Maybe it was a time of seeking God. Drawing closer to the Lord. Paul 
probably had much of the Old Testament memorized. But can you imagine the kind of shift that happens in his head about how he looks at the Bible now, realizing that all of that testifies about Jesus of Nazareth? It might take some time to really understand. Not only that, why does he tell us in Galatians that I went off into Arabia and returned to Damascus? What is he trying to tell us? He's telling us, guys, the message I preach, I didn't get it from any man. I didn't go study the gurus in the East when I received my gospel. I went off into the desert, for I received it as a word from the Lord. Okay? Paul was dealing one-on-one with the Lord, I, I think. And I think there's a lesson here as well. For those of us that want to, if you want to go into ministry... If you want to go into teaching or if you want to put your hands to serve or maybe you want to do mission work. That there is a time of preparation that the Lord may determine. Not everybody ends up like that, but there may very well be a time of growing and maturing. There may be some things that you need to understand before. Before you start um, you start a, uh, in a more intensive ministry. I can't imagine preaching without some of the things that God revealed to me in college. And it was actually, ironically, it was outside of the classroom, but he confirmed it through the classroom. When he showed me my own performance drive and how I longed for the approval of God and I thought I needed to earn it through fasting and praying and reading and the sense of God not being pleased with me and the Lord showing me, Sam, you have only to trust in Jesus. That I count you righteous through his work. And the sense of, found, it, was, it was so critical to my foundation. And I'd wanted to be in ministry for 10 years before, and done much ministry. And yet that was essential. And God needed to build that into my heart so that I fully understood that. And I'm thankful he did. I'm thankful he put the stop on me. When I thought maybe I needed to leave college and go straight into the mission field. I'm not saying that you have to go to college. But maybe you need to go off in the desert. That's two options. Desert's cheaper, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps the Lord would put you in a time of preparation. Dawson Trotman is um, the man who founded the Navigators Ministry. It's a discipleship ministry. And he was asked to help... Uh, join another ministry, I think maybe connected to Billy Graham, to prepare missionaries for the mission field. They wanted to go out on the mission field. And so Dawson Trotman's job was to evaluate their maturity and their readiness to go into the mission field. And so he would ask them about their relationship with the Lord. He would interview these missionaries. How is your walk with the Lord? And it was amazing the patterns that he describes, that many of them said, well, haven't really been spending much time with him lately. You know, it's been kind of busy. And as he would ask the next question, well, when, when did you have a close walk with the Lord? He would find that many of these applying for the mission field never had a regular walk with the Lord in the Word. A regular time of, of worship and prayer and receiving from him and learning. And so his job was to prepare and, and to reject some of these missionaries. Before you and I really pour out and in, in, in step into maybe an official ministry, we ought to really pursue the Lord for his sake, for his own sake. Because motives can really change 
And it can be very tempting to start to please man rather than God or to allow my, my message to change um, unless we are living for him. As Paul tells us in Galatians, if I were seeking to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. And so there's critical. We don't know exactly why Paul went, but that's some of the things I suspect um, about his time. And then um, later we see that Saul seeks to join the disciples. He seeks to join um, disciples. The same thing happened to Damascus, but also in Jerusalem, verse Acts 9, 26. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, and they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him. And brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord. who spoke to him. And how at Damascus he had pre- preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers had learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. A couple things here. First, Saul seeks to join the disciples. Why? Because new believers, it's like being born into a family, right? And so you want to see your mother and your father and your cousin and your uncle. You want to be a part of the family of God. And God puts this desire in us when we come to the Lord to be a part of his body. To be a part of his community. Because Jesus doesn't just dwell in one of us. He dwells in each of us. And when you reach out and minister and pray and love and serve your brother in Christ. We are experiencing Jesus through his body. And there's great benefit when we desire and seek to be part of the fellowship of the Lord. And the disciples are understandably cautious until his Um, friend Barnabas comes and takes him to the apostles and confirms his ministry. Um, Secondarily, notice that he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Something Paul continually does in the book of Acts is he, he disputes and he reasons. Everywhere he goes, he's reasoning, he is conversing, he is discussing, and he is debating, really. Who Jesus is. I think there is a place in the Christian faith in evangelism and discipleship to dispute, to seek to convince with respect. But the Bible doesn't say if, if a contrary doctrine, contra, contrary doctrine is shared, the Bible doesn't say we just let it be and keep the harmony. It says correct. It says to correct. All right. Um, and especially that's true if you're dealing with non-Christians, right? <laughs> um, especially, too, in the right context to, to talk, to converse, and to dispute. And we see this over and over again with Paul. I think that we can do that in a spirit of love and gentleness, um, witnessing to Christ, just as Jesus did with the Pharisees. I don't May he give us his wisdom when we enter into any of those um, disagreements or bearing witness to who he is. Contrary to what others believe. Now I love this little verse in 31 and 32. It's kind of a a conclusive. uh, Verse 31 is a conclusion to much of the previous chapters. Alright. We saw this at the beginning with that Stephen's persecution. 
in uh, chapter 7 and chapter 8, they were dealing with persecution. But now, because their great persecutor has come to the Lord, it says, So the churches throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So the Lord, after a period of persecution, provides peace for those churches. Peace that we take for granted, in a sense. And I think we're talking about religious peace. The, the freedom to worship. The freedom to worship the Lord in peace. These churches had peace. And because they had that peace, they were being built up. They were building one another up. And they multiplied. They grew. And why were they growing? What does it say? What was going on as they grew? What contributed to their growth? Their peace, they're being built up. What else? They walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Those two aspects. What does that mean to walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit? What do you think? Walking in obedience. If we fear God, what that means is that we take Him seriously. And one thing that means is that we obey Him. We obey Him. Fear, walking in the fear of the Lord means to obey. Are you and I walking in the fear of the Lord? Are we walking, have we obeyed what God has given us to do? Are we seeking to obey everything that He says in His Word? If you and I fear him, we take him seriously. If you fear the cops, you drive the speed limit. Does that make sense? You seek to obey the cops, right? When you fear the cops, you take them seriously. If you fear the Lord, you will seek to obey him. You'll also seek to repent from sin. If you fear the Lord, you also fear that he is a righteous judge who disciplines his children. And who will by no means acquit the guilty. And um, you'll repent of sin. That sin in your life can't stay because you fear the Lord. You love the Lord. Fearing Him is also loving Him. And reverencing Him and worshiping Him. And so you will remove that sin. You will seek to do away and cut off your hand. Lest your whole body be thrown into hell. And Jesus said, don't fear those who can destroy your body. And after that... Not do anything. Fear him who has the power to throw body and soul in hell. Fear him, I say. If we take him seriously, we will remove sin as the Holy Spirit convicts us. Now, what does it mean to walk in the Holy Spirit, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? What do you think? Now, my version says comfort. What does your version say? Comfort. Any other version of that word? It's the word potoclesis. So it's, it also means encouragement, exhortation. Now those are all comfort, encouragement, exhortation, and help are all kind of encapsulated in that one word. And different versions all say those different. What does that mean to walk in the Holy Spirit, in the, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit? In the warmth. Okay, so maybe there's an experience of the Holy Spirit's comfort. I think you 
knowing that you're in the right. I think he makes it obvious to you what God wants of you. He reveals Jesus to you. And so as you walk along, you don't have to wonder. I wonder if this is the right way or not. He affirms yeah. and confirms your steps as you are walking with Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. As you walk in relationship with the Lord, he affirms that. He comforts or confirms that too. Anybody else? Me too. <clears throat> talking about preaching the gospel or when we live in obedience, persecution comes. Uh, and there's, a, there's a comfort and a, he keeps our eyes on on the prize of the upward call of God where he says, this is hard, but there's a hope, there's an eternal hope and glory mm-hmm. that's coming and keeps us, keeps us going mm-hmm. through that. So maybe he reminds us of he reminds us of our upward call and affirms and confirms that even in the midst of uncomfortable circumstances like persecution, keeps our eyes focused on Christ and his call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's also referring to um, just the various ways that the Spirit testifies through the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church. You kind of think about the, all the context that's going on here. Um, all these miracles are being done by the apostles. There's the preaching of the word. Um, and when you see God move in a specific way, it confirms and it comforts you. They had prophets speaking. Prophets are speaking to the comfort or the upbuilding of the church and the people. Holy Spirit, there's probably the a wide umbrella of all the comforts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he comes, he will he, uh, when the helper comes or the comforter comes, he will guide you into all truth, right? Reminding of the truths that, uh, like Chris mentioned, and steadying us in the gospel. Um, bearing witness through gifts of the Holy Spirit and through answers to prayer. Um, he, he has a, quite the ministry. <laughs> and um, what if we really sought these things? Lord, that, what if we prayed, God, help us to walk in the fear of the Lord? And the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Let us walk in the fear of the Lord. Lord, let us obey. Let us repent of sin. And let us walk in the comfort of your spirit. Let us obey him. And let us be reminded and guided into the truth. And Lord, pour out your spirit upon us. Fill us with your grace and your power. Fill us with your love. You think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is comforting. Love and joy, peace, patience. That's comforting. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And where, you know, where he wants you to go. Mm. In, in that sense as well. Absolutely.
absolutely. If perhaps, Michelle, you're really putting the nail, you're hitting the nail on the head, uh, that maybe a lot of that affirmation or comfort is affirmation. Things like, I love you. <laughs> Just being loved um, by God is a huge comfort and a steadying force as we are grounded in our identity. And perhaps that speaks to some of the major challenges the church's face is they're, they're missing the truths that the Spirit comforts us with. Um, comfort, affirmations of the gospel. You are my son. Remember when Jesus prepared for his ministry, he was baptized and the Lord, it says, he didn't say, Jesus, you're getting ready for your ministry. We're going to do this, 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 and this, and you're going to remember this and go on this way and you're going to need to know this. No, he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Go get it. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, maybe that's enough, right? To just be reminded of what God has done for us in Jesus. Oh God, oh God, let us walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, we, we ask that your spirit would just convict us of sin. You love those whom you discipline and reprove every son or daughter whom you receive. Lord, show us of any sin that we need to, to run from, we need to repent of and to confess. Father, we pray that... Um, you would lead us into a deep fear of you, a love and a reverence, a respect to take you seriously at your word, God, and to obey you. Help us to obey you through your Holy Spirit. And Father, teach us to walk. I ask that you would help Broadway, help each member here to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit as he guides us in the truth as he affirms, Lord, as he testifies through, the, through his gifts, through his ministries. Lord, as he bears witness and reminds us of what Jesus has said, and as he affirms who we are in Jesus, teach us to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, trusting, Lord, in your way that you will add to your church those daily who are being saved. In Jesus' name. Thanks, crew. Um, we are dismissed. And uh, remember next week, potluck and uh, potluck in the back. And also um, the music group will be here next week. So it would be fun. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>